There we go. All right, we're live. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the uh, the test drive first episode, whatever we want to call it, uh, of the Python Community News. Uh, I'm Jay and John. You're there too. I'm John. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're still figuring it all out. Like it's it's fun, but uh, yeah, this is a conversation around things that have been happening in the last week uh, in the Python community. And we're not going to be really covering anything that you install with pip install. We're going to be talking about things that like will affect you maybe in your day job, maybe in your job hunt, maybe in your, you know, CFP processing and and all the other things. And uh, John, you want to just jump right in with the with the Heroku story? Uh, yeah. So so I have a couple of a uh, couple items I added this week. Uh, but that first one is the Heroku story, which is that Heroku's ending its free tier. Um, so this means that uh, if if you're a current Heroku customer, you've got, um, you know, some projects running on their free tier, uh, those are going to be um, discontinued. And uh, if you haven't uh, been been an active Heroku user in a while, um, your, your account's going to be deactivated as well. Um, so this is pretty relevant uh, because the, there are a lot of people that host, you know, really small um, applications on on Heroku. You know, personally, I've done this for uh, a, b a bunch of different reasons, uh, and they're often used for things like, you know, I need a a, a registration page to, um, you know, let someone sign up for my my Slack chat or my Discord chat. Th those those sorts of things where we're doing, you know. A pretty small application um, needs to do a little bit of dynamic work, but uh, so, so it can't just be like a static page, uh, but doesn't need um, maybe to exist year round or doesn't need uh, a, a large scale deployment. Um, and so this is going to impact a lot of people. Um, and this isn't the first time things like this have, have happened, right? Uh, you know, I think the broader conversation around this is basically that. Uh, a lot of uh, open source and uh, you know community-run projects rely on free offerings from companies like Heroku, um, you know various other hosts in the past, uh, and th there end up being these these announcements where someone says, "Well, this isn't profitable for us anymore," uh, and now the community at large figures out what are we doing? Are we migrating? Are we paying? Uh, you know, and then. Then they uh, kind of find some other solution for you know a few years maybe, uh, and and the cycle repeats. The thing about this that gets me is like this. This gives me that same vibe that like the Docker licensing thing had, where folks were like, ah, oh, you know, uh, it's 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 a money grab. Like they're tired of people using this stuff for free, and it's like I don't think that anyone's tired. I think it's like business propositions do you know if like heroku is a public is are they a public company or so heroku is owned by salesforce oh um, I mean, in, well. <laughs> yeah so there's a uh a, a different version of this announcement somewhere um that that has uh you know the logos side by side uh, makes yeah, that a little I, more clear but i do see it at the top there now on the on the blog like salesforce developers yeah. heroku like but yeah like this idea of like companies having to figure out what are they doing to to keep 
their margins, you know, narrow enough that they're not making too much money, but they're also not like losing too much money. And then like on top of that, you also have that concept of this could mean something else. Like we're only seeing a part of it. Like we're seeing the the part that everyone's kind of upset about, but I wonder like Salesforce buys companies all the time. I wonder if there is something else about to happen that's like, okay, no, if you want to do those free things, do those small things, you go do that over here. But in order to do that, we have to kind of clean house a bit. And maybe that's what this announcement is saying of like, okay, hey, obviously Salesforce doesn't want everybody using Heroku on the free tier and we might need to be getting, you know, cleaning up some storage, you know, just things that have sat there and haven't been touched in years. Like I'll admit, I got projects that I haven't touched that are on Heroku. And I think I got some notifications in my email of like, Hey, update to terms of service. These are going to go away. And I was kind of like, eh, and just, and just like, let them, let them go. It's fine. But I, I feel like we're latching on to kind of the, I mean, we're latching on to what we have, but I don't know if this is like the entire story. And I also think that this is, it's definitely not like a, hey, if you want to keep using the service, pay up. I think there's there's like another thing that's going to drop soon. Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I have, you know, no knowledge of, uh, of, of any future announcements out of this, but um, I think we saw a pretty similar situation. What was it? Just a just a few weeks ago, right, where uh, GitLab was going to be um, uh, retiring, deleting, whatever whatever terminology they used, um, old uh, so-called unmaintained projects, yeah. right? And so they were going to be uh, for the free tier specifically, not not for the not for the paid tiers. Um, so, you know. I, it's it's a similar conversation, uh, and and I think a lot of it comes around to, right? This stuff costs money at the end of the day, right? Somebody is going to be paying for that, and, uh, you know, it's it it, it puts people in, uh, it puts everybody in kind of a difficult position, right? Um, as you as you mentioned, uh, the companies you know have to have to make it work with their financials, uh, but then you've got Projects that are, you know, volunteer projects um, or projects that are uh, maybe, you know, somebody, somebody's side project that they they aren't really looking to make money with to begin with. And, you know, now suddenly they they find themselves in the in this position of I'm going to drop everything I'm doing, figure out where to migrate to, you know, and put that effort in. Mm-hmm. Um, and right, that has a cost as well. Yeah. I, I wonder, you know, thinking about, like you just said, the fact that there are two free tiers that kind of just got chopped. And, you know, the, the disclosure on this is like, I work for a competitor. Microsoft has, you know, services that can compete with this. But like, I notice when we have downtime too, and like we, they, they do like a priority based thing. We're like, okay, hey, if you're on this service, we have to deprioritize you for the like people that pay for guaranteed uptime and guaranteed service level agreements. And like, I wonder if this is all related to that and things like they, I don't feel like they can ever decide if it's a chip shortage or a chip surplus or surge or or like whatever they want to call it. But like, ultimately the problem I feel is like, 
we we're in a period of time where we can't just buy more hard drives we can't buy more storage necessarily just like that it's not like oh all of a sudden salesforce needs to buy you know 15 petabytes put that in a you know a server center a data center somewhere and then now all of a sudden there's just more space for free you know tiers to live on that's just not the current landscape so i wonder if this is a way of saying like we have to guarantee a certain level of service to the people who are paying customers. And that has to come at the sacrifice of the people who aren't necessarily paying. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, uh, as you said, there may be some future announcements coming, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where things go with this time. will tell, uh, with the, with the GitLab change in particular, um, they, essentially about faced on that uh, kind of the, it wasn't the next day. It was soon after. Um, that's, that's because money started <laughs> disappearing. Like, yeah. And bad news, you know, bad news, you know, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find out, uh, you know, what, what happens, uh, you know, if, if anything does come to replace this, you know, at Heroku um, or, or if, or if people just migrate away, um, I'm sure there will be some people that that pay up for it just uh, just because they they say, well, it's not worth my my you know time or energy to figure out a different hosting solution. Yeah. But um, you know, the, there are going to definitely be those projects that uh, go from okay, well, this is something that I spend my free time on uh, and uh, you know already you know pay whatever expenses I have out of pocket and it's not going to bring me any, uh, any money in. So eventually, right. Somebody's going to say, well, uh, you know, I, I, have got to cut my call, my own, you know, personal costs on these things and, uh, prioritize something. And that, that, that might be their hosting. Um, so, uh, people have you know, obviously been talking about this on, uh, on, on Twitter and elsewhere quite a bit. Um, other, other hosting platforms have been mentioned as, uh, as pretty good, alternatives if people want to migrate. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just, uh, you know, if, if you haven't, uh, seen this news and, and you have a Heroku account, um, you know, one check your email because I believe everybody affected, uh, got emailed about this. Um, if, if you saw an email and just assumed it was a, a ter terms of service update, um, you know, you r read that a little more carefully. Um, and, uh, and, and, and yeah, I mostly wanted to share this, uh, cause I do know a number of people who, um, who, who host, you know, kind of small projects on here, uh, that, that they, you know, might, might not realize, uh, are, are gonna at some point soon get turned off. Yeah. And, you know. I think that I think that we we've kind of we've kind of hit this and, and like I said it's it's this is happening a lot and I think that as if we start seeing other companies doing the same thing I definitely want to cover those as well. Um, but if if you're you know one of the people watching now or watching later and you're like you know I don't have time to watch all of this well good news for you we actually have a newsletter that's going to be showing this information as well and uh, you can check that out on the link on the screen now button down button down dot email slash Python community news there. Let's uh, let's transition over to the next story, which 
was uh, interesting. Yeah, I was going to I was going to say you 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 brought this one up. Um Yeah. Uh, what what what's what's this report saying here? I I feel kind of I feel personally attacked by this one, honestly. Uh for those that don't know, I wasn't always in tech. I well, I used to be like an IT admin, and I remember having a manager that just didn't believe that Python was a big deal, and and they really were like, "Oh, you should learn C or C Apparently, that's still happening. Like this is this is still the same thing. So, uh, a recent IEEE Spectrum poll came out with Python being on top but employers not valuing it as much as some other roles. And um, as we can see here in terms of like the top programming languages, and I'm not sure how they configured this data. This is just another survey. This is a hearts and minds poll, I guess. Uh, but Python's definitely, you know, we've seen this repeated time and time again in the last few years. It's being taught more in schools. It's like the number one language on the planet and things like that. But I know plenty of people looking for a job. And when you're looking for a job, like on the job skills, Python ranks third after SQL and Java. And I just I just wanted to, to talk with you about that to see, like, is this something that you've also seen, heard, had people talk about? Like. Yeah, I mean, um, so so the SQL thing, uh, I, I think there are a few layers to this question. Yeah. Um, the the SQL one is uh, is pretty much uh, that right. I, I I don't I don't know that this is just the language, right? It's it's also the um, the 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 additional tooling, the the uh, SQL servers themselves, right? Um, so it's um, I didn't participate in this poll. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's pretty tough to say, right. Suppose you're a web developer, uh, right. And you're working on a Django project or a flask project, something like that. Um, you're probably using both Python and SQL, right. A lot of the time. Um, and, and if it's not SQL, right. Um, one, one way or another, you're, you're storing data, um, and, Decoupling those two things uh, is, uh, you know, n not not necessarily difficult, but um, not not wise either, right? Uh, they are uh, th they're going to go hand in hand when when you're doing um, like web development or uh, m maybe uh, data engineering, data analysis work. Um, yeah. So to to say you know Python and SQL are competing with each other. Um, is is a bit of a stretch to me, uh, you know. I, I think they're uh, they they're going to often go hand in hand, um, and typically, uh, you know, it's it's really going to depend depend on uh, what what your 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 context is here, right? Um, if, if this is a job search, um, you know, what kind of roles are you applying for? Um, SQL may be more important. Um, Python might be, uh, Python's probably going to apply to a bunch of things that SQL doesn't and, and vice versa. So, uh, it's, 
it's it's really hard to to say like okay well i'm i'm looking at this this report and i see that you know jobs want sql skills so i'm going to go learn sql instead of python um yeah you know those are think that anyone is is suggesting that the the thing that got me with this though is modern day python thinks about that it thinks about sql like i mean i'm not saying that everything can be solved with an orm but like one of the first things that a lot of people do when it comes to building a, a you know any type of application is how do i obfuscate the sql kind of a way and how do i approach sql from a, a you know at least in python from a pythonic lens which is using you know sql alchemy or you know django's orm and, and things like that like you still have to know some sql and you have to understand like the basics of sql you have to understand like joins and things like that but ultimately like if they're saying we would rather you know sql query than like python then i feel like that's I feel like that's kind of mistaken. And and I also like, I, I kind of wanted to focus on Java because I feel like Java is, Java's like the thing that has so much legacy that it's like, it's modern, but it's also like, it ran the web for so long outside of like JavaScript doing things that like people, you just have to know it or you have to be able to take something from Java and like migrate it. Uh, I mean, not necessarily migrate it, right? Java's yeah. still very relevant. Right, right. Um, and, and I imagine it will continue to be for, for quite some time. Um, you know, I, I uh, my, my kind of go-to reference point for, for this kind of thing uh, now is, right, a couple of years ago, uh, all of these unemployment uh, insurance systems that were written in COBOL suddenly needed people to to maintain and upgrade them, right? I um, that is on this list. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's probably low. Uh, uh, I I don't think it's you know a, a trendy language, but um, you know, a, a SQL uh, SQL uh, Java, um, right? Even if even if it is uh, fallen out of fashion in 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 some some areas. Um, still a lot of stuff is going to run on it. Uh, and I mean, Python's the same way. Python's what, 30 years old? Ballpark? Don't make me feel old. Um, <laughs> right, so, uh, you know, th there there are tons and tons of Python systems that um, are, are still running on Python 2 and will for the foreseeable future, right? Mm. Um, and and these are going to be uh, pretty pretty relevant in the same way of, of things like you know, it's it's not as much of a jump to go from Python three to Python two as it is to go from Python three to COBOL, um, yeah. but um, you know, we we when when we go to write conferences and and meetups and all of these uh, other uh, uh, kind of community events that are focused around languages, we tend to discuss right what's new in Python three eleven and. Um, you know this uh, this this feature or library that got added to um, you know a particular version of Java, right? Um, that's not the day to day for a lot of companies that are like deploying this stuff to to keep it running, right? It's uh, uh, you know there there are often people who who want to stay up to date and on the on the latest uh, versions of everything, but. Um, 
uh, you know, there, there, there will certain, certainly be, um, you know, legacy code everywhere. Right? Yeah. And I didn't think about it from the perspective of like, just thinking about the, even like the Python two to Python three aspect of things. Like, I think that the most important things are the things that have still yet to be <laughs> to be migrated after you know a few years that tends to be how it works you don't like oh we need to migrate everything over today like you're not starting with the thing that if it breaks you start immediately losing dollars like that's the stuff you move last you you double triple quadruple check all that stuff you test it you again you test it again and then you finally move it over and and i mean coming from a military background, I understand like when they shuttered windows 95, windows XP, they're like, there is public knowledge that the Navy was like, uh, how much do we have to pay, <laughs> you know, to, to keep the most crucial systems running. And, and that's where a lot of these COBOL, you know, you're talking about COBOL and like, um, I don't want to say Pearl, Pearl's not that old either. I know there are updates to it. Um, but like, you know, COBOL and things like that, it's it's because they're important and they work and they don't want them to ever not work so it's like we either don't want to spend the money to guarantee that it will always work no matter what language it's in or we want to find people that can continue to work on projects but also have this other experience and i wonder if that's where you know going back to sequel being on you know being number one on the list ORMs are great. Django's great. You know, Flask, I forgot it was like Flask SQL Alchemy and things like that. Those are all fine. But what happens when those things fall out of favor? When something like a fast API comes in and you're like, oh, now we need to migrate everything from Django to fast API for whatever reason. It's not saying you should, just saying that like that, that, that these are things that happen. It's it's better to have an understanding of like those underlying technologies other than like, oh, I just use, you know, Django ORM and I don't know anything about SQL Alchemy. I don't know anything about like the underpinnings of it, which are just SQL query. Sure. And and I mean, that's why I said uh, earlier that these are going to go hand in hand, right? It's, uh, you know, saying I'm going to use SQL instead of Python in my uh you know, web application that uses both of those things, um, it is, it is going to paint yourself into a corner. Right. And so, um, I, I agree that those, those ORMs, uh, and, and, you know, uh, SQL support libraries are great. Um, uh, you know, I've been using them for, uh, pretty much my entire web development career. Uh, and, uh, I, I've I've never regretted learning more about right the the SQL behind the uh, you know the, the queries that they generate or uh, or about you know the, the the Python internals of them right because they're they're that's always going to be relevant to um uh, to 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 your work when you're working in those those sorts of systems and especially um, you know, especially once you get past right the quick start tutorial, right? Um, it's uh, you know, it's it's really easy to start out with this, um, you know, very very simple quick start and say, okay, well, you know, I'm never going to have to write SQL because look look what the ORM's doing for me. Um, but what 
you know, you're, you're, you're going to get into situations where, right. You need to know the behavior you want before you, um, before you know, you know, where to look in the ORM even because a lot of the stuff maps, uh, you know, pretty one-to-one. I totally agree with you. Uh, one question before we move on. Uh, I see the JavaScript in, in jobs falling falling under Python. Uh, obviously, the entire world's using PyScript now. That's that's the res- uh, no. I'm kidding. Like, please, please do not um, use it, but don't use it for everything. Like, it has lim- has its things. But like, what what are what are we seeing here? Is is this or do you think that this is like? I think you mentioned it before. Like, not everything is a web application, so you kind of need people who aren't serving things on the web. And I know that Java, before people yell at me, I know JavaScript can be used on the back end. I'm just saying that like most of it's not, most of its use is on the front end or used to serve applications. Python, I'm surprised like Go is so low where Go was growing. I mean, there I don't see Rust on here at all, um, which is uh, <laughs> interesting because I can't not see Rust anywhere else. Uh, but like, what what do you see with like things like JavaScript, C sharp, C plus plus, kind of falling underneath Python? Do you have a, a thought or an opinion on that? Uh, I mean, it's um, you know, like like you said earlier, it's a this is a hearts and minds poll, right? Um, so it, it it's hard to um, to, to necessarily uh, quantify all of that, um, but yeah, I mean there there are there are places where Python's going to be used that uh that that JavaScript isn't and vice versa. Um and it it also depends on how you're measuring it too, right? Um uh if if I'm using right a a a tool that's written in Python um because I'm running Linux, right? And there's a bunch of OS related tooling that's built out in Python. Um you know, do, does that count here? Uh, if if I'm if I'm using, uh, say, a uh, you know a, a CSS post processor that's built in built in JavaScript, uh, you know, does that does that count for JavaScript? Even if I never touched, you know, uh, JavaScript directly outside of running like a config file, um, uh, you know, th- these are all very uh, you know widespread languages. Um, I, I don't know that uh, there, there's a ton of conclusions I would draw from, you know, any particular shift uh, in um, kind of, you know, Python gained a, uh, you know, gained a position or lost a position. Um, it's not going to be, uh, it, it, none, none of this is going to be definitive. Uh, it's going to change all the time. So uh, you, you, you've got to really... Um, Probably the more interesting things are right when, uh, for example, Rust enters this chart, right? That then then you might be able to say, well, like, okay, this is this is a an up and coming thing that right people are, are are really hiring for, right? It's 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 more than just rounding error, um, and uh, and it's becoming like a core skill set, right? Because even in uh, even in places where um, you know companies where you might use a dozen different programming languages. Um, you you may not 
list those as like job requirements, right? It might be, okay, well, we have this big Python backend and we're writing some stuff in Rust and Go, uh, but right, first and foremost, you need the, the, the background necessary in order to maintain what's there um, and, and the new stuff is, uh, is, is a bonus. Okay. Okay. I feel you. Uh, so folks, you may be wondering why, as we transition into the next topic, you might be wondering why, uh, we're not covering that thing that you just heard about. And that's because we didn't have it on our list. And if, did you know that you could actually add things to that list? And you can do so by heading over to the repo, which is uh, github.com slash kjymiller, that's me, uh, Python Community News. You can add an issue there, add the topics that you want talked about on this show. Um, and we're going to migrate into the next story. I know John is, is there you go, he's back, he's back now. Um, this one, this one I actually don't have a link for, so it's just going to be, it's going to be us. But uh, I saw some stuff happen. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, this past week we had a Kiwi Pie, or was it Kiwi Pie? Uh, the conference in Aotearoa or New Zealand. And I was surprised to, to start seeing tweets yesterday that videos were available on YouTube. Uh, for people to watch and uh kiwi pie is back in person but they also were doing kind of a unique online like virtual ticket where you could get kiwi pie but you could also get um was it pie apac PyCon apac and you know one of the things that we've we've talked about john and we also talk about in our monthly uh chats that we do in discord which point of order i should probably get something for that in here too like a link to the to discord where you can talk with us and other people and we talk monthly for much longer than we do on this show uh, and much deeper even uh but we've talked about this before of like the value proposition of virtual conferences not necessarily how they position themselves to advertisers in this case or sponsors but how they like are valued for attendees. And my concern here is if a conference is putting out their videos virtually, like on YouTube or wherever, where you can access it for free 24 hours after the conference, what's the point in buying the virtual pass? And I know that you've got you've got some opinions uh, as as the the person who has put on virtual events as well as uh, has a good history of doing conferences both in person and virtual. Uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I I think this starts off with, um, uh, you know, y your opinion as an attendee, right? Um, did did you attend? I, I didn't attend. I actually forgot that. Obviously, I'm not going to New Zealand. Or, so like, uh, yeah. Well, I guess the <laughs> the the more uh, specific question there is: Did you choose not to attend because you knew the videos were coming out in uh, you know 24 hours after the event? So I didn't know that the videos were going to be going out. Um, and and by the way, shout out to the the company that does this next day video. Like they're great. I've worked with them in the past. This isn't a knock on like their efficiency because it's it's stellar. Like this is amazing. I 
I personally didn't attend one because of like time zone stuff. Like obviously their conference is beginning as my work day is ending. And, you know, I have, I have a choice that I can make there of I can sit at my desk longer or I can go spend time with my family. And I, I just chose the latter in this case. Uh, but I also think that even if this were a conference, you know, in America, you know, where I live, if it were virtual, if it were virtual only, the first thing I would think about is what is their history of releasing videos? Uh, I know like Pi Cascades does something similar where like they live stream the conference and like it's available to view like when it was in person, it was available to view via live stream for free. Like you could just go on YouTube, go to their channel and like watch the conference. And I know that in person to me, I don't even go to the conferences for the talks because I know that they will be on YouTube later. I go for, you know, getting to see my friends, getting to go to like the open spaces, which usually aren't recorded and then getting to like interact with vendors and, and, you know, new, new and, you know, more experienced people in the Python community. So like for me, going to a conference is already so little about the talks, but when it's a virtual event, I don't know, like, that's all I'm going for is to, is to listen to the talks because I'm not like, I'm, I'm not going to sit in the discord, like, and just sit there and chat away. And some people do, and some people network and some people do things, but I think the majority of people attending virtual events are, if they're watching it virtual, they're there for the talks. Yeah. I, I don't know that I could make that, that, uh, logical jump of, right. That's, that's what the majority is doing. Um, I think similar to you, I, uh, you know, I, I, I go to a conference for a lot more than just the talks. Um, and, and I'll, you know, add some context here. This isn't a new conversation, right? There's, no. there have always been, uh, events that have had, um, you know, live streams. There have always been events that, uh, release, uh, talk videos, uh, you know, very quickly, you know, one day, sometimes same day, um, where, right. The, the, the talk ended and right by the time the next time slot is done, the video is already up on YouTube. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, and, and this is going to depend on, um, you know, every, every individual attendee, but, uh, for me, it's about participation within a community. And, and that's more than just attending a talk, right? Um, attending talks is great. Uh, there are, I've, I've certainly been at events where I've, uh, you know, overdone it and, and re attended too many talks to the point where, uh, you know, by, by the time I get to one of the ones that I really want to see at the end of the day, uh, you know, I can't really think straight anymore, but, um, there, there, there's a lot more involved there, and and it's easy to see uh, how that is uh, not uh, how that's easier at, at an in-person conference, right? Yeah. So if if you've got an in-person conference where um, you are right, you're you're getting on a plane the day before the event, and you're going to go and be around nobody but those conference attendees for three, four straight days, um, right? It's easy to immerse yourself in that. And I think the, 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 the biggest, uh, that, that's probably the biggest disconnect here is, right, 
am I going to make that same level of effort um, to, to, to really participate in uh, a virtual or a hybrid event, right? Um, uh, not everybody will. Uh, some absolutely do. Uh, but it's, you know, it's certainly, I, I, I think uh, with, you know, the rise in popularity of virtual events, uh, you, you, you've gotten this world of uh, people have taken to doing things like, um, you know, I'll put the conference on uh, while I'm doing stuff around the house or kind of in between my other meetings. Um, and I think one, that's great. If uh, you know, if that's, if that's reaching people who uh, previously couldn't make time to, to attend a conference or, or for whatever other reason, right. Um, th- this, this becomes an opportunity for them to really participate when they, uh, uh, when, when they couldn't before, uh, you know, I, am 100% all for that. Um, but if it's, if it's this, uh, the kind of flip side of that coin, if it's things like, uh, well, there's this conference going on, uh, and, oh, it's just a virtual conference. So, uh, I'm not going to take the day off, right? I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, uh, log out of Slack. Uh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have the videos on, but do my normal work anyway, um, no, I think that's where, uh, where where some folks find that they don't get back out of uh, out of the conference experience, um, you know, any anywhere near as, as much value as they did, uh, right? When they had no choice, right? Well, people love to be like, "Oh, conference Wi-Fi is terrible, so I better close my laptop and talk to people." <laughs> uh, I mean, you can you can still do that today with good Wi-Fi, um, and and you know, keep your laptop open and talk to people. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, I, so I think that there's, uh, some amount of, uh, of, of framing, you know, one's own experience, uh, in, in, in that sense, right. You, you have to, a lot of the time you'll get into it, what, uh, get out of it, what you put into it. Um, and then, uh, you know, as, as far as, uh, the, the videos going online, um, uh, you know that that's kind of a, a big topic all on its own, uh, which is right. What is the value of a conference talk video? Uh, that, because it's a lot more than just um, it's a lot more than just like you know now now we have on camera uh, you know some someone did a talk. Right? That that's the thing that I really want to dive into because it's it's this. I agree with you that. I don't want to make it sound like virtual conferences aren't worth it. I definitely think they are. And I think that one, they, they do things that perhaps when done properly are advantageous compared to in-person conferences. Um, one, they're more accessible. Uh, if, if you're a single parent and, you know, a conference hasn't paid for childcare or, you know, you don't necessarily want your child just running around, you know, at a, at a conference playground with people that you don't know, like it makes it very, very easy for you to kind of control the environment so that you can consume that event, you know, however you feel is best for you. 
Uh, same thing for having accessibility options. I know that conferences have done really great having things like stenographers and um, like ASL interpreters and that American Sign Language interpreters for the US. I don't know the other sign language interpreters in other countries. Uh, but these are things that can exist by default and can can be done well when it's thought about that makes virtual conferences better. And a lot of those things don't make their way to the video. Um, often you'll see things like automated transcriptions come in. You'll see things like, um, you know, we'll, we'll let Google handle all of the text-to-speech stuff or ASL or things like that. And, and it's good that those things exist, but when you're in a technical space, Stuff gets missed when you do that. Having done transcriptions, I, I fully understand how how difficult it is to do that properly. But I think that there's already for the for the average attendee, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna look at this from the perspective of the average able-bodied. I would normally go to a conference, but I personally just don't feel like going to these right now because of you know the climate budget, whatever. I feel like there's so much already taken away from virtual conferences since, you know, considering they don't do open spaces or the open spaces traditionally aren't casted or a part of that virtual experience. Um, you can't just bump into somebody randomly in the hallway because there is no hall. Uh, you can check the the Discord list or whatever, you know, chat window that you're in and see if there are other people that you know there. But that's that's kind of taking you away from that experience. So a conference that is focusing on the virtual side of things, and and to be fair to Kiwi to you know Kiwi Pie, they they were, but they weren't. They were also doing an in-person conference. Um, I just know that virtual conferences have been top of mind. So like when all you have is a virtual conference or more than anything you have is a virtual conference, the videos, the, the talks themselves are like the thing. You know, people aren't people aren't paying to go to the Discord. They're not paying to go to the Slack room. They're not paying to go to the chat. They're paying to have access to the talks and maybe have them in real time. And if you're taking that and saying it's near real time and it's you know 24 hours out, I just don't see how it makes sense, you know, even fiscally to pay, you know, $200 for a virtual pass when you're taking out a big portion of that and saying, if I just wait 24 hours, I now get the biggest part of this for free. Well, I think that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree on the, uh, the, the, the premise that, uh, that, that what you're primarily paying for is the video. Um, right. I, I, I think that, right. The, the, sum right. The, the whole of a conference is, 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 is greater than, than the sum of its parts. Um, and I also think that there are plenty of examples of, uh, people, uh, you know, paying with their, with their time or money to be part of a community uh, that right, does meet online, uh, or, or, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't have that particular, um, you know, deliverable of a talk video, right. So, uh, I, and, and if we, you know, broaden our, our view here outside of the, the scope of tech conferences, right. Um, 
there are uh, there are chat rooms that people pay for. Um, right, Discord. Discord, I think, has actually made uh, a pretty good business model out of um, right supporting these kind of uh, paid chat spaces for uh, people who do Twitch streams or YouTube streams, things like that, where their communities can gather and and discuss. Uh, you know, relevant topics within, uh, you know, within their community. Uh, and, and, you know, if, if that all happens around a discord server or a Slack, uh, Slack uh, server team rather, um, or, you know, some of the right IRC people spend tons and tons of time uh, in, in, in IRC. And, uh, you know, they're, they're not necessarily paying uh, with, you know, with their dollars to be part of uh, part of some of those chat rooms, but people do provide right support for tooling. Right, um, if you're you're part of a, a programming language community like that, people will often have sort of like help channels and things like that. So, um, you know, it's I I think it's basically the same uh, same discussion that that we've always had about you know should we put should we put videos up, you know, as soon as we can? Um, because, right, there, there, there is always some pushback on the front of, well, like, that makes me less likely to buy a ticket. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the case of a, an in-person event where uh, a lot of the time you are limited by, um, you know, your physical space, right? Uh, at, at events that I've been a part of, um, you know, we, we would, we would typically sell out, um, you know, somewhat close to, uh, the, the, the actual start of the event. Uh, and right. It, it wasn't just that, okay, well we hit our, our, our target ticket number, right. That ticket number was basically as many people as we could fit in a room. Um, and that's an additional, area that um you know that some of these virtual options uh really have an advantage over um over in-person events right because you have uh more of an ability to uh to include people who right uh couldn't attend for a variety of reasons um and uh you have you know fewer marginal costs per ticket Right. So you're able to uh, to to remove more of that barrier to entry of right. Well, I can't come because I can't afford this two hundred dollar ticket. Uh, uh, you know, when 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 you're doing an in person event uh, and you have to actually cover right costs of right food and uh, you know other other consumables and just the the cost of renting out the space. Uh, there, there's a quite a bit. Uh, it, it's there's quite a bit less headroom, uh, so that when you say, okay, well, we'll we'll offer discounted or or free tickets, um, you know, it's it's easier to do that when uh, when, when you have virtual options. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I I think that again, I think for a lot of folks, the the virtual conference option is the i can't be there in person so i will i will 
I don't want to say settle for this, but this this gives me access to this where I really wanted to participate. Um, I think what we have to do maybe as a community is stop like one stop assuming that the conference is designed for you know every single individual in the python community to attend um i know we've had this conversation before of like hey some conferences are designed to be for the local community and if you want to be a part of that you have to be a part of that the way that it is designed with that community in mind first um, that being said, I want to ask you a little bit about the, the fact that conferences are back. Like if New Zealand is doing conferences in person, like in-person conferences are back, New Zealand won't let people in the country, but you can go to an in-person event. Like, okay, cool. Um, now that conferences are back in person, like what, what needs to be provided in the virtual events for it to make sense? Like, and I'm talking about for these, like these dual, like in-person slash virtual, like what is enough value on the virtual side for that ticket to still be worth purchasing virtually? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there, there's a lot uh, to, to discuss around that. And I think that, there there are a few kind of uh you know assumptions i'm going to make here uh b- before giving you an answer one one is that um you know conferences are back is uh, is a is a pretty broad statement um you know i'm I, doing the podcaster thing where i'm just speaking <laughs> in generalizations and, yeah. and angering people so that they they talk and they they write comments and they subscribe and they go i i can't believe jay said this uh yeah so Jay, conferences never went away. Uh, some of them uh, did did virtual versions. Some of them, uh, you know, went on went on hiatus. Uh, but uh, but they they didn't just evaporate, right? Uh, so we we we've got uh, all of these events that uh, are, um, you know, a, a, a lot of a lot of events, and you know, we're we're a, a Python uh, community show here. So uh, you know, I'm gonna. Uh, uh, make this pretty uh, uh, Python conference and Python meetup centric. Um, a lot of these are are used to meeting in person, right? It's just uh, the the way that m- most have done it, um, and that is uh, by no means a, a, a you know universally true. There there are uh, great events that have always happened online, um, but uh, they they. You know what? What really we're starting to see is uh, we, we've had a you know two two to three years of uh, events trying to to work on uh, right building out these these virtual versions of events that used to be in person, uh, but now uh, right they've had uh, you know leading up to the first one potentially just a few months to plan. Um, compared to right, uh, building on right years and maybe decades of experience running these sorts of uh, in-person tech conferences, so um, you know a big part of it, I think, comes down to uh, just time to get things right and to experiment. Um, but but yeah, uh, in, in terms of uh, what people 
what conference organizers need to be doing, right? Uh, if if they're going to offer something that they call a hybrid event, which is you know, the 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 word that everybody's throwing around, uh, you know, they they really need to treat uh, both both aspects of that as, um, you know, critical to the thing as a whole, um, you know, and so that 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 means not just doing a live stream and 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 calling it virtual, right? If 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 you're saying this is a community event. Uh, but you have no way for people attending from home to gather as a community, um, right? If that if that's your 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 chat servers or um, you know other uh, kind of remote, uh, but but still part of the conference uh, events. So these open spaces that people can call into and and uh, other other things like that. Um, if it just comes down to an in person event with a live stream. That's what it is. It's not a hybrid event, uh, right? It, and you know, as, as we, you know, I, I think a big important part of this is let's not drop the ball on uh, you know all the people that have been able to participate in these events um, that hadn't in the past. Um, you know, those, uh, and and especially don't. Uh, don't don't put up an event and say right this is going to be uh uh you know as as inclusive remotely as it is uh as it is in person um but then you know leave those uh th- th- those attendees kind of high and dry i like that i, I mean it it's the like don't don't treat your virtual conference as a stub onto like the actual thing make it a part of the thing and and i think i think that we're kind of in a holding pattern. Like a, we'll see like what happens with the, the virtual offerings. I do think that they have improved obviously with, you know, when, when all you can do is virtual, you want to make those as good as possible. And now that organizations are, are going back to in-person events, I think that what they realize is that you can do some of those things still and it not be, too like financially disturbing. Honestly, sometimes it may not cost you very much more at all. So I think that we'll definitely have better virtual offerings. I'm just hope that that will continue. Um, and speaking of offerings, our our last topic before we we you know do all the loose ends. I think the PyPI uh, uh, folks are offering more to FA. Uh, UB keys and things like that after they experienced their first phishing scam, like this, yeah. this, this is a lot. Yeah. So, uh, there, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll send out the link, but there was a, a tweet about, um, uh, the, the, the first reports of, of a phishing, uh, campaign targeting, uh, project maintainers on PyPI. Uh, and so, right. Uh, uh, th- there's there's a thread here. I encourage you to read it if you're interested in the details. Um, but uh, it it looks something like, hey, you have to go here and uh, and, and and verify your package, um, which took you to a phishing page where uh, it was asking for right login credentials. Um, this was you know not not a real uh, PyPI website, and uh, the the PyPI maintainers. Um, you know, we're notified of this uh, by by some members of the community. Um, they uh, took down uh, malicious packages that were 
that were related to this phishing campaign. Um, they suspended some uh, some accounts as a result of it. Um, I, I believe accounts that were uh, uh, actually involved in in the uh, when I say involved, I mean uh, that that actually received right these these phishing attacks. Um, uh, and uh, to your point about uh, about offering, uh, they are extending the uh, offering for hardware uh, key 2FA um, tokens that they're, that they're giving away. So if you're a maintainer uh, of uh, a package that uh, PyPI calls critical, then uh, you uh, you are potentially eligible for um, a PyPI or uh, a security key that you can use uh, as a second factor, factor authentication with PyPI. Um, so uh, a lot of people were already eligible for this. They announced uh, plans for uh, for enforcing uh, two-factor authentication uh, on on some subset of projects uh, about a month and a half ago. Um, uh, but previously, uh, the eligible uh, users excluded people who uh, had 2FA set up uh, already. Uh, now it includes users who have 2FA set up through uh, TOTP. So this is like your you know, your Google Authenticator or the app or those kinds of things. Um, and, and so, right, this is, this is one way you can protect yourself uh, against, against phishing attacks. Um, and uh, if, if, if you're not already using a, uh, a hardware token, highly recommend it. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, two of it, any two of a is better than no two of a um, hardware tokens are, are significantly uh, more, uh, more effective and uh, less uh, vulnerable to any kind of man-in-the-middle attacks. Yeah. The the interesting thing here is I know that a lot of the, the stuff that we talk about or that we have talked about, at least in this episode, has been more focused on, like, I guess, non-maintainers. These are, these are people who are looking for jobs. These are people looking for you know, who want to attend conferences and, and things like that. This is kind of the first one of like, I have a thing that I'm, that I'm trying to share with the world. And maybe it goes with the, the, the Heroku story a little bit. Like I have a product and I want to support this product. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, not to call out one of the commenters, but you know, one of the first comments you see there is like, congratulations. And it's like, huh? Like Python is deemed important enough that like it's getting phishing attacks, and you know we've seen these. Uh, I think they're I think they're labeled as like supply chain attacks, basically. Like oh, if I can't if I can't attack you know a Fortune 500 company and you know install ransomware and things like that, well, what I can do is I can attack the one of the packages that they rely on in their tool, like, you know, like, you know, Instagram and some of, some of these other products and stuff and things like that, like use Python on the back end for a lot of stuff. So if you can infiltrate through there, you only, you not only get access to that big company, but you get access to everybody that's using that. And if you're, you know, installing malware on the, you know, people are just running it into their internal systems and hoping that it doesn't get caught. You know, it's like, Oh, someone just does pip update, yada 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 and then now you've loaded a payload onto a critical piece of hardware uh this is this is interesting i feel like a lot of people are going to be like this doesn't apply to me but i i ensure you that 
I don't have a, a package that's in the top 1%, but I do have like Python packages that I put on PyPI mostly as a learning exercise. I'm like, hey, this is how you would do this. And I think that offering for the top 1%, obviously they have to, they have to put a line somewhere. They can't buy everybody a YubiKey, but is there anything that you think PyPI could be doing other than this to extend that security to the other 99% of packages out there? I mean, I, I think the the PyPI folks are doing a fantastic job. Um, you know, if if you follow the the thread there, they have um, right. They 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 took pretty quick action to uh, to take down packages that were affected here. Um, and yeah, th this this whole initiative of uh, of requiring two factor authentication for for package maintainers uh, is uh, you know going to make the the, uh, the 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 ecosystem around python packages and and uh, you know maintenance and installation of them um, more secure across the board right um, and and right you you start with right the things that are going to affect the most people right right the the most downloaded packages um, and, and and you work your way out from there. Um, and you know to um, to add some additional context here, right? This isn't like okay, well, we've deemed you to be in this group of of people who get access to two FA. Right? That's that's not that's not what's happening here. Um, two factor authentication has been supported on PyPI for a while now. Uh, and uh, one, if you, if you have your own YubiKey already, um, or or if you have right. Uh, uh, an app installed like um, right, Google Authenticator or uh, a lot of password managers support TOTP as a uh, as a two factor authentication. Uh, I don't know if the LastPass uh, <laughs> the, uh, the LastPass event is something that we'll cover here, but I mean, obviously, you're you're talking about the TOTP yeah. type authenticators. Got it? Yeah. So uh, so you know these these software versions. Um, or, or hardware keys, if you already have them too, uh, have been supported on on PyPI for for quite some time. Um, so if you're if you're not already uh, already using two factor authentication on your PyPI account, you should go set that up. Because um, mm. you know there there are free options out there, um, right? Uh, like these TOTP apps, um, and and two, if uh, if you do have um, if you do have a, a, a package in the, in that group, right in that in that group of critical uh, dependencies, then uh, yeah, go go get yourself a, a, a hardware security key uh, through through this PyPI giveaway um, because right, it, it's it's a better method of um, uh, of two factor authentication uh, by some measures uh, that than TOTP is, uh, but but any two FA is better than no two FA. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, people who are involved in, uh, in, in building out, uh, the, these dependencies that, that we use in our Python applications, um, are going to be the, the targets of these kinds of attacks. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it's, is important to make sure that, uh, that 
uh, we, we don't, um, we don't let, you know, some malicious third party gain access to, uh, you know, important, uh, distributions, um, through, you know, a, a password breach, for example. So before we, we wrap up and get to the kind of the lightning round, what can the actual end users of these packages do to, I guess, keep themselves in the know, keep themselves safe, keep themselves protected? Um, I feel like telling people to pin their versions is not the answer, um, but I don't know. I don't really know what the answer is to this one, honestly. I mean, that is an answer. Uh, it's it's an answer for, for a bunch of reasons, including security. Um, you know, there's there's version pinning. There there's uh, hash checking mode in in pip. Um, uh, uh, there's also uh, I, you brought this up uh, uh, pretty recently, but there's a, a a tool called pip audit that I think is uh, is pretty relevant here. Mm. Um, you know, at at the end of the day, um, th- there's there's no one one step to make sure. Okay, all of the software is. 100% safe. Um, cause if that existed, someone, someone would have just done it. Yeah. Um, right. But, uh, but, but yeah, um, you know, again, uh, props to the, the PyPI team here for, uh, for, for doing this kind of work, both, both responding to phishing attacks. Uh, and if you've been, if you've gotten a phishing email, Jay, and, and it's telling you, Hey, go here, enter your PyPI credentials. Um, you know, forward that along to to security at pypi.org. Make sure that uh, the the people you know maintaining maintaining this this resource and keeping it safe know about it. Um, uh, and uh, you know that uh, I'm I'm super glad that they're uh, you know that they're watching out for the community at large. Definitely, and and again, you know we're we're two people on a, with microphones and internet access. Like we're, we're asking questions because we want to know. And if you know, like, please let us know in the comments uh, or just reach out to us on Twitter and things like that. Um, But we're, while we can talk about a lot of these things that are happening, we do it with the like utmost hug ops for like everybody that gets impacted by this stuff that happens. Like it takes so much like outside of what your normal responsibilities are to then deal with the fact that, okay, Hey, something super important, you know, took down a service or took down something. And then now we have to go through the audit process. We have to go through the remediation process and do all those things. Um, so yeah, if you're listening and like, this was you, you got one of those emails or like, you know, or you almost fell for it. Like we are in no way, you know, criticizing or, or poking fun at or anything like that. It's, it's, our hearts definitely go out to you and, and like, we hope that you can have a safe Python experience and um, as much as you want your users to as well. Uh, Jay, I think you wanted to wrap up with, uh, with some conference related things. You mean the conference lightning round? Uh, I think we can do that. Let's, uh, let's round robin some of these and start with Pi Bay. Pi Bay's food truck edition is happening in just a couple of weeks. Uh, you still have time to go grab a ticket there. Uh, I 
want to say tickets are $200. It's in the San Francisco area if if that's where you, you live or you work or you operate out of. So be sure to go check that out. What about, I'm going to move this over. What about PyCon APAC? Yeah, that's that's coming up uh, in, in just about a week now. Um, I was going to say a week from tomorrow, but I think time zones mean it's, <laughs> it's, it's a week from now. Um, uh, but yeah, their, their, their conference is coming up. Um, uh, you know, if, if you are, uh, if, if you are in the area, um, you know, certainly, certainly, uh, check that out. Yeah. And then we have PyCon Ghana, which is happening later in October. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of of reach on there. Shout out to the folks, uh, uh, one in Ghana that are are putting this together. It's their first time back in three years, which is amazing. Uh, A a lot of conferences have struggled to kind of get back up and running. So it's good to see uh, more and more of the international conferences. You know, we often see things from like the U.S. lens. So it's kind of good to see them all up and running. Um, and then I think we have one more. Yeah, Jay, you have a conference talk coming up. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking, but, but also you should go because it's going to be a, a fun time in San Diego. Uh, so yeah. Or remote. Or remote and, and remote. I, actually, I think that we have, there have been very public discussions uh, with the DjangoCon organizers about how they're trying to make uh, the remote experience uh equally as great as the in-person one, as much as possible, doing all the right things, having all the right conversations. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm giving one of the keynote presentations on the second day where, where I will talk about the Python community and how it's, uh, for, for better or worse, like your trip to the public pool. Right, so I think I think that's, that, that's all the conferences uh, uh, on, our, on our docket for this week. Yeah, uh, and and that's actually a good point. If you have a conference or a CFP announcement that you want shared, you want on the show, we're doing this every Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, I believe that's the time, uh, as long as time zones and things continue to operate the way they do. Uh, Yeah, if you have a, a topic that you want us to talk about, you want us to cover, if you have a CFP announcement that you want us to do, um, or if your conference is coming up and you just want to maybe have a few more people find out about it, uh, head over to the GitHub repo and file an issue that, you know, one of the greatest things that we've done here is we've created a template so that anybody can go to the website, create an issue, and then ultimately we can go through and figure out what we want to prepare for the show. Uh, and you can also see a little bit of Python in action, mostly John doing all the work and me figuring out how date times work. <laughs> but I think that's going to wrap it up. Uh, if you've been watching with us live, thank you so much. If you want to watch live, you can do so one of two ways. You can do it on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Miller or on YouTube, youtube.com and then slash C slash Miller. Uh, our hope is that enough people will start watching live. We'll move this over to its own channel and, and like and grow this as much as possible. If you're watching a little bit later on the VOD or on a podcast or listening on a podcast feed, uh, let us know what you thought. You can do so on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is KJAY Miller. John, what about you? Mine is John Afato. It's just take my, my, my first part of my first name and the last part of my last name and smash them together. Um, uh, and yeah, with that, uh, you know, un- until this time next week. Yeah, you've been listening to the Python Community News. <laughs>